Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Women Offshore Podcast. This is Ali Cedeno and Christine McMillan. We are both experienced seafarers. And at Women Offshore, we are making waves. The Women Offshore Foundation propels women plus into meaningful careers through access to a worldwide community and professional development resources while raising awareness amongst industry leaders and decision makers about issues affecting women on the water. This podcast is an integral part of our mission, and we appreciate you listening in. New episodes of the Women Offshore podcasts are available every Tuesday. Subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on and be in the know about the latest topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the maritime and offshore industries. Thanks for tuning in. We have another great episode for you today. This episode of the Women Offshore podcast is sponsored by Trackline Search Partners. Trackline is a woman-owned and operated maritime recruitment firm founded by Sheila LaFleur. She was a seagoing mariner just like you. Learn more about Trackline Search Partners at trackline.com. Today on the Women Offshore podcast, I have Carrie Simon with me. Carrie, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Carrie is a lawyer and she specializes in Title IX law. And so we're going to talk about Title IX today. And so I would love to just dive right in with your background and your education and story and, and let's get going. Great. I am Carrie Simon, as you said, and I'm a Title IX attorney. And that means I represent survivors of gender based violence in schools in K through 12 and colleges. And I do that work all over the country. And so um, Title IX, we can talk a lot more about, but often is thought of as a sports law, but it has many more applications. And one of the most significant ones, or at least what my whole career is based around, is representing folks um, in the face of sexual harassment, sexual assault, dating violence, and domestic violence, um, where it interferes with their education and their educational access. So that is my work. Tell us a story about you personally so we can know Carrie is a human. Thanks. Okay. So I started my career. Um, I bought a one-way ticket from California to Washington, D.C. to fight for women's rights on Capitol Hill. And I just had that as my vision and, and sought to make it happen and then spent spent many years on the Hill working um, working my way up and got to direct the Congressional Victims' Rights Caucus. So that's where I really got my start from a policy perspective, working on Capitol Hill, doing um, policy work and running the Congressional Victims' Rights Caucus, learning about policy and, and law as it relates to these issues. And that is where I met my now husband. His name is Nathan. And on our first date, he told me that he had started a men against sexual assault group on his college campus. So we were a good fit. And... Let's see. So so then I decided to leave the Hill and go to law school because I felt like while I love public policy, I wanted to be more connected to individual people and individual families and survivors. And so I decided a law degree would allow me to be more effective in that way. But I still love policy to this day. And that's why I'm so excited about the work you're doing where we can think about things from the policy perspective your organization is doing. So for me, my public policy background and experience informs my direct services and my direct services informs my policy work. And I'm better at both because of it. So both are still really central to my life um, and the way that I approach it. And, and I often say that 
you know, some people who do this work in the gender violence field, like do yoga to calm down and I do like policy work to calm down. (laughs) Yeah. So I went to Harvard Law School and I met my mentor, this woman, Diane Rosenfeld, that runs the Harvard Law School gender violence program. And she was the person who introduced me to Title IX as another way to address the the issue of sexual violence in society and looking at it at a very certain moment in time where it's really common. And that's like in the educational context and the educational moment in someone's life. And um, I think before that, I had been pretty burnt out, to be frank with you, on the criminal justice system from like an effectiveness standpoint. And I and I really wanted to be effective. And, and Title IX offered this other way to look at these issues that is from a civil rights perspective and an equal rights perspective. So I I fell for it and I've been doing it ever since. And after law school, I lived in Alaska where I clerked for a judge and had a life adventure and lived in the mountains out there. And then I went back to Harvard as a fellow. And then um, I joined the law firm at now that does this, that I get to have like the honor of my full-time practice being representing survivors. That's amazing. And I have two kiddos. I have a six-year-old son, six and a half as of yesterday, which he would not want me to not mention a four and a half year old daughter named Seneca. She's named after the Seneca Falls Convention. They're good kiddos. Wow. That's amazing. Can you tell us what Title IX is? Let's start from the basics. And then my follow-up question to that is how it can be interpreted so many different ways, because it's very simple. It's only 38 words. Is that right? 37 words. 37. So I overestimated it. (laughs) That's it. So so Title IX is a statute. It's 50 years old. We just had the 50th anniversary. It was introduced by Patsy Mink, um, the congressman from Hawaii. And it said those 37 words basically say you you cannot discriminate based on sex if you're an educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So if you get a dollar of federal funds, which is for like a Pell Grant, for example, almost every school in our country gets a dollar of federal funding, um, you cannot discriminate based on sex. And, you know, as Patsy Mink sort of initially conceived of it, it was the idea of like letting women into the schoolhouse doors, right? Like so that Columbia couldn't say like 5% of our classes for women, meaning 95% is not, right? So it was just having equity and access to education. And it's those 37 words and what discrimination in education means that is the interpretive question. And like the rest is interpretation after those 37 words. So it's been something that has been an ongoing thinking about what does discrimination mean? What is our educational views of the world? How it's kind of constantly evolving. And that's one really exciting place for like to think about as a lawyer and for folks that care about survivors or care about gender equity is this really very broad law. Like it's broad terms, have a broad sweep. Title IX was meant to have a broad sweep and it's been interpreted to have a broad sweep. And so we get to have a lot of interpretive thinking about what discrimination means. Okay, so let me back up one step to say, in case this is like helpful background, is that like Title IX applies to a lot of, it's been found to be applicable to a lot of areas that affect equity. So sports, pregnant and parenting teens, and a lot of other areas. And and then a major one is sexual harassment and sexual assault is an extreme form of sexual harassment. So that's sort of how to think about, you know, why is it applying in the sexual harassment context? Because basically sexual harassment is preventing you from accessing your education. So therefore it's discriminatory. And the right. institution has an obligation to prevent, to, to address it, to prevent its reoccurrence and remedy its effects. So that's like sort of the worldview you're in when you're thinking about, okay, what does the school have to do if I'm reporting sexual harassment or what has to happen in that aftermath is they have to stop it, address its effects. I was curious about the previous administration's interpretation. Okay. 
And then I know that there are changes coming and what's the status of those changes and, and what's it mean? What's it mean for us? Okay. So the Department of Education is one of the main entities that does that interpreting to tell us and institutions what sex discrimination in the sexual harassment context means. We are currently under regulations around what Title IX means in the sexual harassment context that came out in 2020. And those regulations are 2,000 pages. They are very detailed. They, wow. they really, and Yeah, they're intense. So we, we definitely don't have time to get into what they do. But like top level is that, and these are the ones that are currently in effect from the last administration. They did two major things. They limited when Title IX sexual harassment counts. So by saying where it occurred, like, was it inside a program or activity? Was it at school or not? That was like the first one they said, if, if it's not part of the school, if it's outside of the school, it's in your hometown, that doesn't count. So really limiting when schools could respond to sexual harassment under Title IX, and then also limited the definition. They said that it had to be sexual harassment that was so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it denied one access to the benefits of their education. So it had to be really, really bad, really severe, so so offensive that your education was denied. That's like when it counted, right? So um, then it had really onerous proceedings if you did get through that door. So that's the regime we're under right now. The current administration, the Biden administration, has issued new proposed regulations. So they're called the proposed rules. Um, that have been going through a a lengthy government process to see what those are going to end up being. And they're coming out in May and they will replace those rules. Okay. They'll they'll come out in May and then they'll go into effect probably this school year. That's what the government is telling us right now that they'll come out in May. Okay, great. And so this is going to be more inclusive of assaults and harassments that happen on a wider scope of places and also the definition where you said it has to be so severe and so pervasive that that wording is changing. Is that correct? Correct. So really what this, these current regulations like fundamentally altered what had been placed for a long time. So we're basically in a lot of ways going back to what was, but also learning about what we should be doing. So on those two, two issues I named first is location. The, the, the new proposed rules, which we expect to come out in May, have language that we expect to look like this because we've seen them proposed, but it's, but it's not final. They say that where sexual harassment interferes with one's access to their education because it's impacting them on campus, then the school has to address it. So that's really fundamentally about what matters because what matters is, is it impacting your education? So I, I once had a client that was sexually assaulted at a fraternity at Kansas State University, and Kansas State was refusing to investigate rapes at its fraternity houses, saying they were off campus. And we sued on behalf of, of these survivors, um, several survivors who were denied anything in response to this. And one of them said to me, um, why would it matter where it occurred? We all go back to classes together on Monday. And, and I think she's fundamentally right. Like she wasn't going to get her education because being around the person who assaulted you makes it really difficult to focus on your education. So I think that's one big thing that the rule is doing is understanding that it's not about the location of the assault, but the location of the impact. And if it's impacting your education, the definition of what counts as harassment is also being broadened back to what it historically has been to severe or pervasive unwanted conduct of a sexual nature that is severe or pervasive is the, is the broadened definition. So it's much more attainable and the normal definition of when um, we would expect our schools to do something. Great. 
Great. So I'm excited that these changes are coming back into effect. That's a a good thing. And then we want to bring this home into the maritime world and to the state maritime academies that are under Title IX jurisdiction. And so a lot of people question about the training ships and what does it mean to go out on a training ship, first of all? And and if something happens on a training ship, if someone's assaulted, are they are they allowed to report it to Title IX and get the same accommodations that they deserve under the law? My understanding of the maritime education is that these training ships, the crews that students are required to do is is actually the central component of their educational experience, if not like the heart of the educational experience. So 100% would Title IX and the right to be free of sexual harassment and sexual assault apply on these training ships when we are sending our students out there into the middle of the ocean where, where there's like needs, they need to be protected, there needs to be safety, and they absolutely have a right to report and to address any concerns of sexual harassment, sexual assault, dating violence or stalking that are happening on these ships. It, it would be a, a derelict of duty to, to say that we couldn't do anything about it because we're out on a boat at a maritime educational institution. Thank you for that clarification. I'm so glad you gave a very straightforward answer to a question that's a lot of people ask. I know that in our previous conversations, we've talked about that a lot of survivors don't know that they that there are accommodations that can be given to them so that they can go after their educational goals. So can we talk about that a little bit? I would love to. Thank you so much, because this is definitely a passion area for me. So in addition to the right to be free of sexual harassment and to you know be able to report it and go through any disciplinary process that someone wants to, there's another fundamental right that survivors of sexual harassment and sexual assault have, and that is the right to accommodations and remedies and supportive measures to address the impact of the sexual assault on their education and to just make sure their education remains on track. If you think about Title IX saying, we can't let this experience of sexual assault or harassment interfere with your education, that's the moment where we can step in and say, well, you have what kind of rights do you have? You have these rights to meaningful supportive measures. So, So let's talk about what they might look like. They can, they can mean a whole lot of different things to different survivors. So the basics is like the right to academic, like starting to think of it from first and foremost is like an academic accommodation. And that might be that in the face of sexual harassment or sexual assault, your I see this happen to survivors a lot. They're assaulted. It's within their friend group. They're afraid to leave their dorms. They're afraid to go to the cafeteria. They um, start missing classes. They start getting bad grades in classes. They might have PTSD, so they have difficulty focusing, and things sort of start to spiral. And they're they get you know their scholarships withdrawn or removed from their athletic teams, and really their life spirals down. And Title IX is meant to step in and sort of say none of that has to happen. You actually have tons of rights in this area. So those can range from. Um, the rights to taking a smaller course load, the rights to things like getting excused absences, having a, you know, changing of your classes, having extensions on exams, allowing for the removal of of grades from someone's transcripts that aren't reflective of them, but are reflective of a sexual assault. So retroactive withdrawal from classes that someone might have failed, not because of any fault of their own, but because they were sexually assaulted. So there's a whole series that are arranged around sort of the academic integrity that someone has to. Then there's a whole series that are 
crucial around um, safety and, and issues of just being able to actually walk around your campus. And so schools can put in no contact directives. And I like to see really robust no contact directives that really prevent interaction of the parties. Having classes, checking in advance to make sure that there's no overlap in classes um, or that if they're assigned to the same. I mean, I think in, in the maritime academies and lots of schools, people are assigned to groups and there's a position that the school has to not assign people to the same group. There's a lot of flexibility that schools have to not assign someone to the same group to you know make get, give some leniency if someone doesn't want to do watch after they've been assaulted and they're sort of feeling like they're not in their most safe place or try to come up with safety measures to make someone feel comfortable and confident. So the whole idea is that if if what happened to to if if a sexual assault is preventing someone from experiencing their full educational rights, there should be some intervention to lift them back up and to give them back access to their rights. And this is what many, many, many survivors want. Most don't want to go through a disciplinary process. They just want to keep their education on track. And you do not have to report to get these accommodations. Oh, okay. That's an interesting fact that I didn't know. I didn't realize that it didn't have to go through, you know, a law enforcement reporting process to get Title IX benefits. Not at all. And I often think, for law enforcement, this is a, if, if you even want to go down that route, you might want to start with like, I don't feel safe in my dorm or I can't go to the cafeteria. So I'm not eating. Like we need to really support someone on their very basics, sense of safety, security, ability to keep their education going. And, and maybe then they could be ready to go through a reporting process if they so choose. But these are really fundamental that like nearly everybody needs because of the impact that happens in the face of sexual violence. So no need to report in advance. You have a right to these accommodations and you should ask for them. Wow. This is amazing. So Carrie, you have done this work for a long time. I feel like you are probably one of the few Title IX experts in in the country. And so if people want to reach out to you to get more information from you, is that okay? Can they, would you share your contact information with them? That is so kind. I um, thank you for that. I am always happy to talk to you and survivors um, to help them. So that is my that is what I do, and that's what I love to do. You can you can reach out to me. My name is Carrie Simon. It's spelled C A R I S I M O N. My my email address is C Simon at T F N L Group dot com. That's C Simon at T is and Tom F is and Frank N is and Nancy L is and Linda Group dot com. Awesome. And we can put that in the show notes as well and share it in our blog. And we want to just let people know that you're an available resource, that you're here if they have any questions and just need support. And, you know, Women Offshore, we're here for you as well. We want to be a gateway that can get you to the right resources that you need. And Carrie's just one of many that we have. So thank you so much for your time. And my last question for you, Carrie, is if you have any advice for somebody who's suffering and they don't know where to go and they don't know who to turn to, what would be your first piece of advice that you would give them? My hope that everyone's takeaway is if you experience sexual assault or sexual harassment in the school setting, you have rights. You have deep, meaningful, and rich rights. You can reach out to me or Women Offshore or just say, what are my Title IX rights online? And just know that you have those rights. So just have the confidence to know this isn't my fault and I have rights and my right is my education. And that's that's the best starting place. Amazing. Thank you so much, Carrie. What else? One, one other thing I want to I want to say, because um, we're talking about me being a resource, is I, I do want to say that I have experience doing this work for survivors in the maritime schools. So what I've seen is I've been able to take like this national experience and be like, whoa, there's some very specific sets of 
ways these schools function that are really different than civilian schools. The percentage of men versus women, the amount of um, like the things like crews where you're in a confined space for the entirety of a, a whole season or for several weeks in a row, where there's like physical requirements, where there's um, formation and that you're standing near people so so frequently and close closely and the the small size of these schools can be can create a lot of different dynamics where we have to think of really creative solutions to support survivors. I've had the honor of doing that and getting survivors in the maritime industry back on track. It's so exciting to work in this field supporting women that have been underrepresented for so long so we can have the most talent and let people fulfill their dreams. And that's what Title IX is meant to do. And I want to support all women that want to work in this industry to get through this education and know they have rights in the face of these these really things that are not their fault. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for the work you do. That message is incredible. And I am looking forward to our next conversation on keeping the Title IX ball rolling and and letting everyone know what is available for them and what rights they have. Thank you so much. And thank you, Women Offshore, for your work for our, our women everywhere. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. Come back next Tuesday for another new episode. If you want to propel women offshore forward, visit womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and we will talk to you soon.